beautiful day out there, Squeezer. It is absolutely gorgeous. Some people would say it's so beautiful. Let's play a baseball game. Why not play two? Or stay in and peruse the stats on some baseball cards underneath a blanket all day. Uh, I'll take the uh, under the blanket. Right. Cover that. 500, please. Cover that sun, those windows up and get that sun out of here. We're talking all things baseball except the sport. Uh, and we were going to originally do this for opening day and talk baseball movies. Yeah. And we have a couple baseball movies here to talk about. Sure. But we are mainly, we decided to open it up to everything baseball yeah. but the sport. And well, the initial thought was too, like this came up during, when did the idea come up? Around like spring training ish, during hockey season. We're ready for baseball. After uh, a week. A week. Well, in the last 48 hours, <laughs> I have participated in 31 innings of baseball. Which is three games. Yeah. 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 We did uh, well, 20, to, 20 innings last night and 11 To be fair, night. that was supposed to be two seven-inning games, right? Last night, yes. Yeah. yeah. So we went the day before, we went 11 innings. and I'm, then I'm just going to let the listeners know that Squeezer was not... Playing. I'm not playing. <laughs> I am not a professional athlete in any he was way whatsoever. Pointing a camera at. Yes, these. but so, but I'm at the same time I can't at complain athletes. at professional athletes. Uh, well, they're baseball players. Um, That's true. It's not like I have a real. It's not a real job. I mean, right. at the same time, I'm like I could be tarring this roof that sure. I'm or black topping. So right. to be fair, it's basically or doing some sort of hard labor. At the same time, it can get there. Here, you want to try? This is what it's like to be a cameraman. Uh, hook up, go start up your video game console, whichever you may own, mm-hmm. stand, stand there, and for four hours, stare at your TV and play video games standing in the same place for four hours. It's pretty much what it's like to be a cameraman. <laughs> if it really wants to suck, drag your TV outside and do it in December. Mm. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's not a real job. But yeah, Pays the bills, still, though. It pays the bills. Still, twenty innings of baseball just fucking. It can it can get to it you. can beat on you. What do you got first? Well, first, uh, on uh, June first, nineteen ninety one, and ironically, June first, nineteen ninety four, and June second of nineteen ninety one, we got a couple launches in television. Oh. But uh, this one in particular is very important to us growing up. Comedy isn't pretty. Sometimes it's damn ugly. But then there's that one perfect shining moment when the joke really hits you and you throw your head back and laugh at deep soul laugh causing a big chunky loogie to dislodge and flop out of your mouth. And you're really embarrassed. Comedy Central, the only all comedy network. I remember when Penn was the voice of Comedy Central. Penn's the man. He'd do all the bumpers, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Coming up next on Comedy Central, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it was mostly just coming up next, Kids in the Hall. Oh, God. Worth it. Yep. It was and, Kids in the Hall channel. Up for and they played, they played a lot of uh, British shows, right? Mm-hmm. They played, uh, what was that, um, with the two women? Ah, uh, shit. There was, was one called, like, Soap Dish, I think. 
There's another call. Oh, absolutely fabulous. Ab fab. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of absolutely fabulous. Yeah. A lot of whose line is it mm-hmm. anyway? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then we got uh, eventually. Then we got crank anchors. Yeah. South Park. South Park. Along that was what ninety seven. Ninety five, I think. Ninety six. Really? Yeah, I right. was in middle school because it was a that was a big thing. It was like you can't. It's like the show that you weren't supposed to watch. Right. So you'd like sneak it and then. The parents started watching it and laughing, and it's like you're ruining it. Right. Stop yeah, enjoying what we're enjoying. Didn't give a shit and let me watch it. Yeah, I like I I didn't. It was like what was it the? Did your mom think it would conjure Satan? <laughs> oh, probably uh, a gay. They did conjure a, a, gay, a gay Satan. Satan. <laughs> um, but then like the uh, yeah when. I'd be walking through the house and she would be singing Mr. Henke to Christmas Poo and think it's the fun- funniest thing in the world. Right. Like, no, this wasn't, this was for me. Your oh, time is done. Reruns of SNL, they'd play tons That's of those. Right. Then we'd later get Workaholics, uh, Key and Peele, The Chappelle Show. Well, I mean, The Daily Show is probably the most oh, integral. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Colbert Report. Colbert. Well, here's yeah. the Comedy Central. Yeah. And we also, uh, yeah. It was originally called the Comedy Channel, Comedy right? Channel, then yeah. Comedy Central. And then in 94, the same day, uh, three years later, we got FX. We've which, spoken about that. and uh, Which I spent the whole summer of 94 watching. Yes. And then uh, uh, June 2nd of 91, the next day after Comedy Central, launched, MTV launched uh, Liquid Television. Oh, the show Liquid Television. Well, the show, yeah, the animation block. Right. Yeah. Eon Flux. Eon Flux. And oh, maybe a, a little something, a little, we'll later. a little something, something down the road. Well, let's get into it. I got the first pick, and I went with a movie. Now, I'm talking the sequel here, but we'll of talk course. all three movies. Give me Bond. Give me Rick Bond. Oh, my God, it's him. He's back. It's Wild Thing! Rick, Wild Thing Bond. He matured a lot over the winter. Apparently, he's bathing now. Are you thinking about what you might have done differently? No, I was mostly thinking about your legs. The Wild Boys of Summer are here again. Charlie Sheen, Tom Barringer, Corbin Burton. God. Major League Two, Rated PG. Well, I didn't... That sounds like shit because I wanted to pull a TV spot because I didn't want to make you guys all suffer through a two-minute 90s, two-and-a-half-minute 90s trailer. I, that's what I was going to do for my movie, but then I said, fuck it anyway. So, mm. Well, <clears throat> Major League. You suffer. Well, you, you're a fan of Major League. Seriously. Oh, absolutely. The original Major League was about this uh, Vegas showgirl whose rich husband died and left her the Indians. She wanted to make a little money. She found out she could move the team to Miami. Uh, this was before Miami had a team. Or Florida, the Florida Marlins. So she decided to, uh, she had an opt-out clause with Cleveland that if the attendance got so low, she could take the team and move it to Miami. So she fired everyone on the team. She hired Lou Brown out of the Toledo Mudhens to come coach the team, a.k.a. manage the team. I, I, I like how it was kind of like, it referred to the Toledo Mudhens in a very condescending way. Yes. Um. Then, then she hired a whole bunch of, uh, basically building like a first year AAA team, a whole bunch of veterans and losers and guys out of prison, guys out of anybody. So this team originally sucked. And then the VP of 
operations came to Lou and told him what was trying to happen, and they all kind of like banded together against her and started playing better despite her. Uh, Pedro Serrano could hit the curveball finally, or he finally did and calm down. Uh, they realized that Rick Vaughn couldn't see. That's why he was so wild. <laughs> and he fitted him for some glasses. Uh, the whole team just uh, uh, got together, and they played in that one-off uh, game against the Yankees to, division, to, to win the divisional championship. Uh, they won, wound up losing in the ACLU. But then uh, ACLU. What American Civil Liberties Union? Yeah, right. ACLS, I meant. Yes. So... Did you know there was an alternate ending to the movie? ALCS. What did I say? ACLS. I'm, uh, that's probably like some kind of tendon disorder or something. I am quite dyslexic. Yes. <laughs> so uh, there was an alternate ending to this movie. Did you know that? I did not, no. There was an ending where she said that it was her whole plan all along. She made up this Miami thing. She couldn't afford any better players, so she got these guys and made up this whole scheme to convince them to band together and play well. And uh, the test audience just hated it because she was a villain, and all of a sudden it yeah, turned. Just, yeah. What was the point of that? To like, did, Were they going to make an action figure of her that they wanted people to like her in the end, so they'd buy her figure? I, I mean, don't know. It, just, it was kind of like a... i take like, that cardboard cutout. Sure. She was hot. So, cut to Major League Two. It came five <laughs> years later, but it's supposed to take place <laughs> the next season. Willie Mays Hayes is just a different black guy. <laughs> Swap out a <laughs> different black guy for him. Uh, the team, uh, off their success of the last season, now kind of let it go to their head. Rick Vaughn is all straight-laced and more concerned about his image. Uh, Lou Brown um, brings in... Well, Roger Dorn is now the owner of the team, who was the third baseman, mm-hmm. Corbin Burnson. Mm-hmm. So he brings he signs this Jack Parker guy, this, this big recruit to be a catcher, and then he tells uh, Tom Berenger... <laughs> That he can't be the catcher. They can't carry. They have this other catcher from uh, camp, Rube, who can't throw to the pit back to the pitcher. He has to throw to first base, and then they throw the pitcher, and then they get him the porno magazines, and that's how he starts <laughs> focusing. So he doesn't want to carry three catchers, so he tells Tom Berenger that he's going to make him a coach, uh, Jake Taylor, a coach instead of a catcher. Reluctantly, he takes it, being forced into retirement. But then Lou Brown has a heart attack. Because Roger Dorn is forced to sell the team back to the showgirl from the original movie. And Roger Dorn is now the GM and activates himself uh, to be on the team again. Uh, there's got to be some kind of rules and regulations in that thick little handbook. Yeah, it's like the Ruben rule. <laughs> uh. So Dorn's now on the team. Um, what's her name is now the owner of the team again. Lou Brown's in the hospital with a heart attack. Jake Taylor's now the manager. Uh, as they're about to bench, what's his name? Uh, the fucking hot prospect, the hot guy that they hired, the other catcher. I just said his name, but I forgot it because that's me. As they're about to bench him, he says, well, you can't because I've been traded to the White Sox. He gets pissed at Dorn. They start losing. They get in this big brawl. <laughs> they beat the shit out of each other. And I think, what's his name? Who's the announcer from Milwaukee? Who, Bob Uecker. Bob Uecker. Bob Uecker's like, I believe they're beating the shit out of each other. <laughs> and then they, they like all bend together, and Willie Mays uh, pinch runs for Rube, and uh, Cass steals the base, and all of a sudden, like, oh, Serrano comes out and cracks one, a home run, and then all of a sudden they start playing. It's just like the first fucking sure. movie. It's just start playing better. Well, it's a baseball movie. Right. They, 
I, I really think that they just shot all the baseball movies at one time <laughs> and like and just on with those like with green masks on and then they just keyed people's faces on and redubbed the audio for each baseball movie throughout. Well, the big the big turn in this movie is they're in game they're forced to a game seven of the ALCS. Yes, I said it right there. Yes. And the night before, Jake goes to Vaughn's house and he says, I think you need to get your style back because I might need you to come out of the pen and relieve for me. He's like, yeah, I'll do it, whatever, but I don't need any style back. I don't need anything. Then he goes on his motorcycle in a big search of himself, and they're up by one run, and they call Vaughn out, and he comes out with the glasses and the jacket on. All of a sudden, they're like, it's him, it's him. Keep playing the music. And they play Wild Thing, and the stadium starts Mm -hmm. going crazy. And what's his name? Cousin Eddie all of a sudden turns around. He's like, wow. All of a sudden, he's a fan Mm -hmm. again. Wild Thing's back. And he goes up. He walks the batter to get to Parker and then whiffs him with three straight fastballs. Just like the... They move to the World Series. I don't know what happens, but... Yeah, they never... There was never a... A lot of these baseball movies, you never see the World Series. It's always like a divisional game. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, Because baseball playoffs are grueling. (laughs) Yes. They don't Um, want to film them all. It's a... um, It was much more Charlie Sheen heavy, Correct. Yes, yeah. and Charlie well, Sheen he was, was on bigger, steroids big time. Yes, that he admitted to it to improve his athletic by then, ability. When, well, it was five years in between in that time. Because when when did Major League come out? Was that 89? Major League was eighty nine, and Major League Two was ninety four. But it was one yeah. season. <laughs> yes, and at that time, I mean, that early nineties, Charlie Sheen is doing his thing. You know. Yeah, he became a pretty big star yeah. after Major League. Well, was, he had hot shots yeah. and hot shots Purdue. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. So yeah, and then there was this minor league film that was a big pile of garbage. Back to the minors. Yeah, that was even the different team, Minnesota Twins. I don't even know if I've seen all of Back to the Minors. It's bad. Dorn buys the Twins, and he hires this guy who's retiring from, from Fort Myers team to manage his AAA team, and then he gets in a fight. He kind of gets in a pissing match with the manager of the Twins. And his AAA team plays the Twins, and the Twins beat them, but the AAA team gives them a run for their money. And then something happens where they want to play one more game, but at the AAA, <coughs> you know, it's fucking stupid. Yeah. Uh, uh, rules aside, as far as the logistics of managers activating themselves and doing all this shit, I would think the off-the-field stuff, both like banging each other's wives... The, the clubhouse shit, guys getting slammed through tables, shit like that. That's legit. Yeah, that happens. Yeah. We don't know for a fact, but hearsay, we hear it happens. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, so should we go on to your sure. first let's, pick? Let's move on. What's this? This is the glorious sound of Little League Baseball Championship Series for the NES from 1989. Never played it. You never played this? No. Uh, Explain it to me, Squeeze. This is my favorite baseball game of all time. Okay. It's my favorite baseball game of all time. Um, So it's Little League. Uh, It runs on... Which engine did this run on? 
uh, Baseball Stars, uh, which was also on NES. Uh, SNK made this, same people that were behind Neo Geo. Mm-hmm. Um, you had 16 teams to pick from across the U.S. Uh, you had like California, Texas, Pennsylvania, uh, New York. New York was like the powerhouse. I would always, it was kind of like cheating. Mm. You'd pick New York because like they had all Like picking Andre the, the Giant in WrestleMania. Yes, yeah, it was, they had the best players. Uh, and if you, and, and then you had, you know, Japan and China, Taipei and all that stuff, which I want, I should have gone back and double checked that. It's probably really controversial right now, whatever. I, I think, because was there Taiwan? Hmm. But um, Italy was a team. So if you could set up your own exhibition match, you would always, you would play as New York against Italy because Italy sucked. They were so bad. Um and you can set your lineups. It was pretty in-depth for being an NES game for baseball. You move guys in and out, position players and shit. Um, and it had single and multiplayer. Um, and you also had all different kinds of stats. Uh, you had my guy, Ward, was... Well, they had the players were set up so that they their skill set was based on what they look like. So you had your tall, thin players were either your pitchers or your fielders, and they would have like a five in defense or four or five in pitching, and it was a one-to-five scale. Then you had your uh, you know, little shorter guys, um, and they were your they could run, they can bunt. Pretty, you know, they were the middle-of-the-road guys. And then you Isn't had everyone in little league like three foot seven. Well, and then you well then you come across Ward. My boy Ward from New York with a five in the batting average. And he, uh, they were like a bunch of little Babe Ruths. Ah. They, they couldn't field very well, but man, could he crush home runs. And I, I always had him batting cleanup for me. My boy Ward. <laughs> Your boy Ward. Um, Did you own this game or just a rent? No, I owned this. Oh. I played this game. I burned the car- this cartridge out. Okay. Um, and it would start off with uh, a bat toss. It's like the traditional toss the bat up and then someone grabs it and hand over fist till you get to the top. And that's how you determined uh, your, uh, if you were home away. Oh, really? Yeah, it was pretty cool. And then the kid had a big dumb grin on his face. Does that happen in the Little League World Series? I don't think they... Oh. I don't know how they do it that way. Um, usually by the time I turn it on, they're already into the game. Uh, we'll ask that. Yeah, we'll have to ask Dirk. I'll ask him, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was cool. There's a, lo- a lot of controls. Like you can like dive and jump, like jump up the wall and like rob home runs and shit like that. Uh, was it hard to do? Like most controls no, were. No, no. It was really. I. Th- I mean, I played a lot, so maybe I just got good at it. But it's not like baseball today. I can't. Fuck. I can barely play baseball games today. I automate like half the game. Uh, I can pitch. That's about it. Um, and also, uh, you could play shifts. It's pretty in depth. You can, you know, shift everyone over. Not nearly as ridiculous as they do sometimes now. Like your shortstop isn't playing behind first base, but you can manage. Uh, huge outfield. So if you hit one into the gap, you, I mean, triples or inside the park home runs were not necessarily out of the see ordinary. What this game looks like it looked good for what it was. Um, and then uh, what's it called? Uh, Little League Baseball Championship Series. By SNK. Okay. And you can also just watch the game, like a single player, two player, or just watch. And you could just 
what you know run a simulation and yeah sometimes i would do that just you would watch a nes baseball game play itself out oh wow the ground looking at the bat toss yeah. the graphics are pretty good yeah um aside from the graphics being pretty good uh look up see if you can look up the uh home run screen when you hit a home run this game now it's not officially the first um but before you had Lara Croft, before you had Katana and Sonya Blade and Mortal Kombat, before the DOA series did their thing, Little League Baseball Championship Series, I think, was the forerunner for bringing truly great boob physics Hold on, to video it. games. So, okay, one went into the crowd. You'd crush a home oh, run. Oh, my goodness. And then these two cheerleaders with very short skirts would pop up, wow. waving their pom-poms, and these things were huge, and they were moving. They're real, and they're fantastic. <laughs> this, this, I think... Uh, that is something. Yeah, this is something. So it was definitely motivation. As much as I am a fan, like, when it comes to why I... Don't get me wrong. I do love baseball, and I will get home from work, and I will watch more baseball. Right. And I am a fan of the small ball. I don't necessarily, I'm not going to bitch and moan like everyone else that, you know, you could hear on TV about the way the game's going, but I enjoy moving guys over. I like bunting. I love, I, I hate the designated hitter. It makes the, I think it's so much more exciting when you got to figure out how to make the game work for you. Yes. But this game... I was motivated to hit home runs. Hmm. I wanted well, I mean, cuz yeah. I wanted to see that screen. Well, that's why Ward was my boy. <laughs> and so I I don't know what you did. You was there any pausing and looking around, darkening darkening out your windows? I don't know what you're talking about. That's pretty getting a no squeezer. That's pretty gross, Ryan. Your words say no, but your eyes say oh, absolutely. So what's your next pick? <laughs> Changing the subject. Classic squeezer move. I'm, well, bun I'm, I'm bunting. Uh, my pick had no large-breasted animated women in it, but it was my favorite baseball video game. Ken Griffey Jr. has never been happy playing any old game. Toss me the ball. He wanted to play... <laughs> hardball. So any game with Ken's name on it had to have wall-to-wall -wall action. It's Ken Griffey Jr. Presents Major League Baseball, only on the Super NES Sports Network, the one game that plays in Ken's League. Okay, let's see you hit. Right now, a special Ken Griffey Jr. trading card comes with a game. Score. Ken Griffey Jr. Presents Major League Baseball in the SNES. Now, remember, let's say 1993, 94, when you're homesick, and you're, you're really sick, and your dad actually feels bad for you. So he runs to Blockbuster to rent you any game. Mm. Now, my dad's pretty clueless. He knows I like baseball. He knows I like Nintendo. He just saw this game and got it. Thank goodness he did, because I played the hell out of it. I wound up buying it because I liked it so much. It was so much fun. Now, Nintendo had stakes. I don't know if they owned the team at the time, but the Seattle Mariners, mm -hmm. and they had a contract with Ken Griffey to you know, promote and star in video games, just like they would sign Mike Tyson earlier. And this game was a lot of fun. The hitting was really easy. It was all just timing. Mm -hmm. So there was no, like, super mechanic you had to get down to hit right. It was very cartoonish. Like, the guys were super jacked. 
which worked well for that air. Yeah, it was pretty probably fairly accurate. Right. And they would always be blowing like bubblegum bubbles and um the pitching mechanic was really simple. Uh, the the funniest part was when you strike them out cuz there's a couple options they'd either turn around and yell at you like the umpire they're like <laughs> yeah, well come on they'd snap the bat over their knee like a catcher that we know or they'd uh, like just sulk. And <laughs> uh, you don't need all day to play this game too it's sort of like a full game was like 20 minutes perfect no wonder little ryan loved this game. right <laughs> you could play an exhibition game you could go right to the world series you could go right to the world uh, i'm sorry the playoffs you could play all 162 games in a season or you could do a home run derby the home run derby you had to watch like the uh, home the, the opponent bat first which was annoying mm-hmm after every game, there'd be like a newspaper article about the game, and there'd be stats. Uh, I love that shit. Yeah. It, when I the last football game I think I ever bought and played because then it just got too much for me was I think NCAA 04, and they kind of did that same thing where like your room would change as you got better, and it like articles would come out, and it's little things like that that I would obsess over. <laughs> so, the game licensed MLB. So mm-hmm. all the teams were there. Okay. All the stadiums were there. But they did not have a license with the players' union. Uh. So they only had Ken Griffey. No, this was great. But Nintendo of America uh, did this great thing, and you could look up all like the team special like, like, na- like associations on Wikipedia. But like the Astros, uh, the names of the Astros are all cartoonists. G. Larson, uh, W. Eisner, F. Miller, Frank Miller. Mm-hmm. Then uh, the Dodgers are all based on punk rock pioneers in, from Los Angeles. Oh, that's cool. Uh, I know that uh, one team was all, uh, I think it was the Brewers. It was all the secret Milwaukee identities. The Brewers. The pitching staff was all superhero secret identities. Peter Parker, Clark Kent, Bruce Wayne, Jay Rockford. But they looked like the actual players. You mm-hmm. could tell these were the actual players, but they didn't have their name rights. So, so it wasn't like a Jorge Menseco or something like that. Right, yeah. Uh, the Mets had um, punk rockers from New York City. The Yankees have the nicknames of famous Yankee greats, such as Bambino, oh. Whitey Ford, uh, and New York boroughs, such as S Island and stuff like that. So they really got clever, and it was really neat to see all those. The game has a lot of elements to it. I played it. Mm-hmm. That's where I had these notes from. I played it last night for about two hours. And on... Um, my little emulator mm. on my uh, PSP. And I'm like, God, this, is, this game's fun. It's still very playable. Fielding's easy, hitting's easy, pitching's easy. It's, it's, it's easy. Mm-hmm. And it's very cartoonish, very fun. And it's if you haven't played this game or you haven't played in a while, I'd suggest go back. It's got a lot of playability still. Ken Griffey Jr. And then there was a sequel that was... Yeah. God awful. Hmm. Yeah. They lost the cartoonish aspect. Okay. Rare was involved. They tried to make it more real. Really? Yeah. I find it odd that by Rare getting involved, I mean, Rare made Conquer. I mean, that's far from... Well, the graphics were way better sure. on the sequel, but there's you know, something, they lost the charm. There, yeah, there's something about needing to be clever to get around right. legal limitations. Yeah, exactly. And there was a Game Boy version that I think it was 1997... But it had the Players Association, so it had actual okay. the names, yeah. Yeah, you, and then you kind of lose it. It's like, well, yeah. you, we got this. I never played the Game Boy 1. Wanted. Was it Game Boy Color by 97? No, it's, hmm. 
black and white. Powerful Nintendo Game Boy. Yeah. The thing lasted, huh? So, uh, that was that was Ken Griffey Jr.'s Major League Baseball. I suggest do you have an SNES? No. Never uh, had one. Still don't. Do you have an emulator at all? Uh, I did. My old, on that old PC of mine. So, right now, no. I can look into finding something. You got a long list. I'm not going to put something else on it. We're going to go to your next pick. Mom, come on. I got a game. Henry thinks that he's actually going to play today. Henry Rowan Gardner had a dream. Rowan Gardner, get in the right Playing in the major leagues. Only one thing. I got it. Stood in his way. Home, home. Reality. Until one day, everything fell into place. And blah blah blah, this happened. And blah blah blah, something else happened. And everything fell into place. What is now rotate this is from the shoulder, uh, rookie of the slowly. year. Ah, is this the pitching movie? Yes. He had his he got surgery on his arm. Yeah, all of a because sudden, he, he slipped himself on the ball and then his arm was in the cast, so the tendons tightened. Was it a magic ball? Or was it just science? No, it wasn't good enough. Tendons tightened up. Tendons tightened up and he could fire a ball at like a hundred more miles. Hmm. That's and he played for the Cubs? Cubs, yes. In the leagues. So, they went to a it Cubs, Blue Jays, I believe, and uh, they hit a home, the Toronto hits a home run in the stands, his friends hand him the ball, and as tradition, you throw the opposing team's ball back, and when he throws it back from right, feet, right center field, he throws it back all the way back to home plate, and boom, right in the catcher's mitt, and everyone's like, oh. And so, you know, MLB rules aside and all United child labor laws aside, legal child labor laws aside, they signed this kid. This summer, and he doesn't wind up having to go through the minors either, right? No, he goes right to the big leagues. <laughs> and uh, so he ends up in the bullpen. And uh, he also, he's, so he's on a team now with uh, Gary Busey, Daniel Stern. Uh, Albert Hall is their manager. You might remember him. He was uh, Chief Phillips from Apocalypse Now. Mm. He's the guy that runs the boat, takes a big spear right through the chest. Mm-hmm. He's a better fate in this movie. I was just going to go and watch the last inning of these movies because that's where all the drama, the absurdity occurs. And then I came to the last inning of Rookie of the Year, and that's when I'm like, all right, I have to just talk strictly the ending of Rookie of the year. Um, oh, also, yeah, this was a Daniel Stern movie as well. They directed, directed this. Right? Yeah. Um, and Gary Busey's there giving his uh, Gary Busey speeches. Like, even though he was the starting pitcher, he would come out to the mound and give him his little pep talk. And it was kind of like, this, it was like watching a Gary Busey YouTube video. It was just as weird uh, 25 years ago. Uh, I can't go without saying that. Henry was uh, Thomas Ian Nichols who played Henry in Rookie of the Year. Right. Um, and I'll, actually, a lot of this was shot uh, the uh, at Wrigley Field in between doubleheaders. Oh, really? Yeah, so that they, they had the crowd. They were at Wrigley, and quick one in there, popped up some, popped up a camera, and 
hey, let's roll on this. It's actually pretty clever and cost-effective. Yeah. You don't have to pay for extras. And uh, so at one point, now he's going back out, and he steps on the ball that's laying on the field as they're, like, waving to him. He waves to the crowd because he's all excited. He's going to go close this game out, steps on the ball, falls, hits his arm. No. And now mom, who knows, goes, oh, no, and she knows. And so he throws his first warm-up toss and doesn't even hit the plate. And he's like, oh, no, it's gone. So he intentionally walks the first batter, and then he waves everyone in, which I don't understand why he could have just waved everyone in first. Uh, And I guess there were no other pitchers left in this bullpen because he had to come up with a plan. I mean, at that point, just like in my case last night, pull in the left fielder and have him pitch three innings. God was fucking awesome. I mean, you struck out. All right, we're getting off topic okay. there. But still, what happened? You, they so they stay. The they stay. The plan is hit him ball trick first. Okay. So in that meeting, he hands the first baseman the ball, walks back to first base with it in his glove. Meanwhile, in his hand, he holds. He has the chalk bag. Ah. Yeah, and then he tosses up. He's like, uh oh, and the guy's like. Oh shit! And he turns around. The first baseman, think. Are you even allowed to do that? I don't think there's a rule against it, (laughs) but the benches will be cleared, and some nasty (laughs) shit's gonna. Let's just say if it go if another inning or spring training isn't gonna be pretty. I'll tell you that. No. Um. So then now, like, what do we do? He walks the next guy because he can't just pitch to him. So gets the next guy on base. And this guy is, like, fast. He's going to steal second on this kid. So there's one out. There's one out. Runner on first. Right. And now the kid looks to him at first base, and he has the ball, and he drops it. And he goes, oops. He's like, what are you doing? And the guy's, like, kind of leading off, like, well, he doesn't have the ball, so I'm going to quick steal. And then he quick picks it up, and he's, like, taunting him. Starts calling him chicken. And then finally he catches him and, as he's going to sprint for second, the kid catches him and tags him out. Yeah. Okay, two outs. Yeah. How's the third out? So now comes your big Mike Piazza after eating 400 cheeseburgers, Artie Lang-ish, hasn't shaven monster that, you know, because God forbid a baseball player has hygiene, but if you look like uh, Tex Cobb, Mm-hmm. you're going to hit home runs. So sure. that's this guy, of course. So throws a fastball right down the middle, swing and a miss. Actually, I think it might have been a changeup. Well, anyway, when you have a little kid throwing you a fastball, it looks kind of weird to you and you can't hit it. Right. The next one crushes it just foul. Then the kid's really nervous now. And he looks down at his glove, and the piece of tape that's in his glove that his mom gave him that was from his dad, who used to play, mm-hmm. starts peeling off. And then he peels the tape off, and it's not his dad's name in the glove. Right. It, it's his mom's. <sighs> and he looks at her in the stands from 400 feet away, and she can, he can see in her face, and she's like, yes, Henry, it was me. Because I guess mom played professional 
softball, baseball, where, when, or in college. I don't know. And she goes, float her, float her, as she, like, signals with her hand. So he basically does a slow-pitch, high-arc softball toss to this guy. And he doesn't know how to hit this thing and whiffs on it. Boom. The close-up of the snap dust in the catcher's mitt. Game over. Ah! And everyone's happy. God, I never want to see this movie. Yeah. You really never saw this? I saw it, but I don't want to see it again. So, and then, and then there's that, uh, then, uh, it cuts to them playing Little League now, because now he's just a normal kid again. Gary Busey's there for some reason. (laughs) And, um, he makes a great catch in center field, because I guess they moved him from, to center field. And then they all raise him up and he's cheering and he like puts his fist in the air and he has a World Series ring. Oh, God. Yeah. So you could assume then they won the series, they moved on. He probably he didn't play in the World Series because little kid with an arm, I'm sure they probably just put him on the DL. Uh, but, you know, he was there for enough of the series that he got his championship ring that I guess he's playing Little League Baseball by wearing a, you know, $500,000 ring. Okay. Can we move on? Roger Ebert gave this three stars. Ugh. Hang on, let me actually. I have. What would Roger Ebert give your retelling of it? (laughs) Sorry, that was really wrong. Uh, If I may quote, (coughs) me, 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 me. Oh, God. Look, this isn't a great movie. If you're not a kid, don't go unless there's a kid you want to take. But if you are a kid and you have ever for a moment wondered what it would be like to play Major League Baseball at your age, oh, then well, take it from the old little leaguer and see this movie. I really shouldn't give it three stars, but I'm going to anyway. Call a form of revenge for all those hours I dread spent in right field. Yeah, from the Chicago area, a Cubs fan, Roger Ebert, of course. Ah, I didn't even put that together. Yeah, yeah you had to give this a good review. Yeah. Or you would have been shat upon. Oh, well. Yeah, um, look. There's a lot of fun moments and memories of that movie growing up. But Squeezer just ruined them all for us. I'm sorry. (laughs) Fuck that. (laughs) Let's move on. No baseball collection is complete without this year's hottest new player, the Sports Talk player. Just with me three sliders, I try to take three strong swings. Jose Canseco? I told myself I want to get a pitch to drive. Don Mattingly. Sports Talk plays 164 talking tops cards with stats and tips from all-time greats to current all-stars. I can smell the win and the no-header. That was definitely Mike Scott. And Oral Hershiser. And Carlton Fisk. Pete Rose said, this is great. This is the best game we ever played in. Sports Talk, the hottest new player in baseball. So when I was a kid squeezer, I was a big baseball card collector. Uh, my brother and I had tons of wax boxes constantly ripping them open, seeing what we had. Never really traded with anyone because at Catholic school, no one else was really into it. Of course, there were some people out there who would buy the long boxes and index cards and sort out teams by year, you know, and get really anal about it. I would, uh, like, basically, like you did with your Legos, make a swimming pool in my bed, lay in them, and read the stats, and, you know, only cherish the Mike Schmitz. Would you you'd swim in them, like... Uh... Don West? Yeah. <laughs> you can swim in these! Now, I basically bask in them on my bed and just, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd leave, wake up in the morning to eat a big bowl of uh, Captain Crunch with a couple cards still stuck to my back and legs. But there was a time in, uh, I don't know even when this came out, it was the early 90s, I 
think like 80, no, actually it was late 80s. It was like 88 or 89 that uh, LJN and Topps released what was called the Sports Talk, specifically Baseball Talk Card Reader. Now, Topps released, uh, you, you bought this box and it came with this like blue thing that almost looked like uh, it could rewind VHS tapes. But in mm-hmm. it, it uh, it had this. It had it was blue and it had the like a little uh, red rope to hang it, like to hold on to. And then it had a, a red button to play. And you get these cards, and they're about I don't know six inches tall. They're long baseball cards. And the box you bought came with a set of 164, and it was ni- the 1988 series of cards. So on the back they had like little vinyl records like taped to them. And you put them down in the player, and you'd hit the red button to play it, and it basically play the record. Now these players weren't built to specific standards. So the audio was really tinny and high pitched, I guess, because the records weren't calibrated right. You know, sure. They were small, like they, you know, they're made to play at, at certain speeds, at certain, you know, it's, there's record, you just can't. There's a science behind there it. There is a science behind it. So on the box, when you bought it, Tops would promise that coming soon, NFL and NBA cards, and which I was really excited for, and also series two of um, series two of the uh, what am I talking about the baseball cards? So I had these. I I played the shit out of them. I love that 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 you could talk and um, you play it in and you hear the players talking and telling stories. There was clips and there was calls from the radio. And then the the checklist card that it came with had Don Drysdale and Joe Torre. Like introducing you and telling you oh, what you're gonna get cool. and, the, and the whole thing, and there was like other things like um, Mike Flanagan recounting how Japanese baseball glove manufacturer Mizuno spelled his name Mike Flanagan, <laughs> which like I fucking loved, and the the letter that came with said Mr. Flanagan, we're very glad you used our grub. That <laughs> oh, I I know you're just telling a story. But it sounded racist. I know. But this is <laughs> this was in the this was on the card. Like he tells the story <laughs> on the card. So because the cards and players were on the market for such a short time, and the players didn't really work that well, a complete set and working player today, you know, will go for about three hundred dollars. Hmm. They're a little expensive. But at the time, like they were in the bins at Kitty City and Toys R Us for like just sitting there 50 cents like four dollars for the whole whole set but i had one and my i loved it i thought it was really cool and then this when we when we decided we were going to do this i was like what i really want to talk about this i couldn't remember i thought it was tops and i kept searching tops baseball player and i couldn't find it and i just like searched a bunch of random descriptions of it and it came up that it was made by ljn which should have been my first bet as to why this thing failed and tops was just the card maker but yeah the baseball talk Sports talk card player. It's kind of cool. It I like really the, I cool. like the 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 depth of it's not just like a not like a pull strip cowabunga. Right. Pizza time. Right. Kind of like the turtles were. This is like legit. You could you get something out of playing this. Yeah, the the back that was clear see-through. So you saw the record and you could still see the stats on the back of the card. And you put it in and you hit play and it play the record. Now today you could easily do this on any card. You just have mm-hmm. a a Q Qual M card, one of those little codes that you get on mm-hmm. your 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 boarding pass. Scan it with yeah. your phone and play a video. Pre- everything's preloaded. Yeah, yeah, you can play virtual reality of uh, being the game probably. But that you know nowadays it'd be really easy to do something like this. They probably do it, 
But maybe. Back, but back in the day, this was. If not, we should probably run with that. All right, copyright uh, Rad Years podcast. Don't steal our idea. Sweet. It's ours now. We've copyrighted over podcast. How much does is an MLB license? Hmm. It can't be any more than a couple hundred dollars. Sure. <laughs> I mean, the Nintendo got it for Ken Griffey. We just won't get the players' union, <laughs> so we'll have to make up players right. and just have them say random shit. Sure. We could do the voices. <clears throat> As I clear my throat every time. <laughs> so, yeah, that was my next pick. Your next pick is... Dude, a frog. Frog baseball. Get him. Strike one. Strike two. Strike three. Ball. <laughs> yes! <laughs> that was cool. The first ever short that Mike J- Judge did, and I, if you listen to him on The Nerdist, he talks in depth about uh, the squeezer, how he entered it into a animation fest down in Twisted, Texas. Twisted Festival of Animation. Oh, so you know about mm-hmm. this. And it got, he got calls. He actually looked up MTV in the phone book and called and was like, hey, I got this whatever short. And I'm sure you, what do you have on this? Well, yeah, and then eventually it led to airing on Liquid Television yes. that launched uh, of that year. Uh, it wasn't, it was, it's definitely a pilot. If you watch it, even though you know Beavis and Butthead animation is not known for its, uh, I don't know what you would say, precision. You know, it, it had its own style, but the voices obviously you can tell like they didn't. He, they were not themselves. Mike hasn't didn't master the voices no, yet. No, this was a work in progress. Yeah. Um. But this, I had, I got inspired by this when I was thinking of that. 10-minute droning that you just heard from me while I was talking about Rookie of the Year and all this, oh, this family, blah, just, I needed something else. I'm like, what is the antithesis of all this family values, happiness, baseball, angels in the outfield, and, like, Beavis and Butthead just popped into my head, and I'm like, what Beavis and Butthead has to do with baseball? And then I'm like, oh, yeah, obviously, Frog Baseball started the whole thing. Um, It really should have been concerned watching this i mean we talked the other yeah, week about live frogs with wooden we, yes bats. we talked about the whole uh three steps of a serial killer thing yeah and you were right it was, the uh the wedding the bed was uh a part of it right but i said i said uh starting fires apparently yeah. it's head trauma now see i didn't see head trauma i saw what else was the other one that i saw it was uh, animal cruelty. Uh, we said starting fires mm-hmm. and wetting the bed, but apparently it's head trauma. Um, but yeah, they were in the beginning of this blowing up uh, bugs with firecrackers. Mm. They killed the frog, mm-hmm. which you know I guess you know it's an amphibian. But the episode ends with the squeal of a poodle 
under black as they kill their neighbor's dog <laughs> playing dog baseball. Ah. Yeah, so it was a little, it was a little dark. Um, and this, this, along with the other pilot of uh, Peace, Love, and Understanding, when, uh, what was the hippie teacher's name? What was his name? Mr. Garrison? No, it's South Park. Oh, yeah. But it was <laughs> close. I'm going to say it was close. Um, as he's playing his little hippy dippy song at a monster truck rally, he gets run over and killed by the monster truck. So this was, it was very, uh, they were one-offs at the time. I don't think they ever saw a plot of this, of him going anywhere. Um, and, you know, people, of course, you know, the whole kind, I want to get in the whole controversy of Beavis and Butthead and then being responsible for every single thing a kid did. What Mike Judge was doing was just drawing what he saw. Mr. Van Driesen. Van Driesen. Um, it wasn't, it's not like he had this idea where he's going to animate these two idiots and then think that, you know, kids are going to see this and use them as role models. No, he saw a bunch of idiot kids and drew them. Right. Now this would lead to obviously Beavis and Butthead, the series, which would lead to a good movie, some video games. I was into it, but what it spawned Mike Judge's career, which led to some of my favorite things, which was Office Space, Which which was King of the Hill. I fucking love that show. Yes. And the my current favorite show on television, Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. Office Space, I, I'm not going to say it's the best because, you know, comedy is subjective, but it's my personal favorite comedy. It's as great. far as, like, straight-up comedy. Because when you say, like, Ghostbusters, it's weird to me. Like, I just don't put it in that comedy category sure. for some reason. I don't know why. Maybe it's, the, like, the sci-fi-ness of it. But... Straight up comedy, I think Office Space still holds its own as my, and still my personal favorite. Yeah, he he's something that uh, Mike Judge and he, because of this. Yeah, this little short that led to two teenagers murdering a frog with a baseball bat. Grandiose career. Anyway, do you have anything else for Beavis and Butthead? Huh. Frog baseball. Should we move on? Sure. It led me to watching a lot more Beavis and Butthead. I sat there and probably watched another 45 minutes. So just Of course you did. Yeah. You don't know how to budget your time wisely. Kenner, we, I mean, we could, first of all, we couldn't do a Radier show without talking sure. Kenner action figures. And they weren't necessarily action figures, but we still needed them and wanted them and had them. I, sure. You had them, right? I had a couple. Yeah. I wasn't, again, I wasn't crazy about them because I didn't know what to do with them. Yeah, I, I liked, I just like, like positioned them. They're yeah. like show pieces for well, me. Well, like I, what I ended up doing was like on my bookshelf where I would keep them. I turned that entire shelf into like a little diorama. Right. So like I would, I got some like construction paper and like green and brown construction paper and built a little field. I had little, I built stands with individual little people I cut out and put of along the... Of course you did. What? You couldn't just uh, use your imagination and pretend it was there. I used my imagination to build a set. <laughs> well, I didn't even have, I didn't have, I maybe only had like two of the starting lineup. I had a bunch of my dad's old... uh uh, Heartland figures. 
I don't know if you remember. Mm. Uh, they're like the solid plastic statues. Mm. Um, I had like a Yogi Berra. There was Mickey Mantle. All these like uh, Eddie Matthews, shit like that, what they look like. If you saw them, where's a Yogi Berra one? They're always like tinted, like the yellow. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. They're, again, they're as much fun as, I guess, a starting lineup figure. I mean, you could adjust the arms and shit on them, right? Yeah. Some of them, sometimes they're adjustable. Arms, some of them, some, sometimes a leg. Some of them, though, they'd come in their pose, like where they're swinging or in a pose, and they yeah, would, next to their, impossible yeah. to stand up. Yeah. yeah they, they, the center of gravity just had a yeah. off balance. These were conceived by uh, Pac McNally, uh, the wide receiver for the Cincinnati Bengals. Really? Yeah. He was, I guess, he was at a toy store, mm-hmm. and he noticed that were there were tons of figures like G.I. Joe, but nothing like based on real-life sports heroes, you know, being a narcissist like most professional athletes sure. are. Where am I at? So, yeah. So him and a for- former college friend who was running Kenner's day-to-day operations decided to work together on the project, so he knew someone, oh, okay. of course. Uh, <laughs> now... I don't know if you ever looked up starting lineups on. We all thought they were going to be worth something as a kid. Well, it was they came out at the at the time of like the, the bubble yeah. that that the collection bubble everything. I mean, comic books is right. the prime example, but it didn't matter what it was. Yeah, worth nothing no, really. Really, you get carded carded of the best players. I mean, some are worth. There's like occasional ones that's worth a lot, but you can get mm-hmm. like carded players. Some sell for fifty cents carded. Jesus. So you know they had every sport. There was uh, baseball, football, basketball, hockey, and then to a lesser extent, auto racing, boxing, track and field, skating, soccer, and golf. Uh, they're about four inches tall, but they they made lines up to like you know over a foot tall, and. Kenner debuted the starting lineup figures in 1988 by releasing 124 players. Each team from Major League Baseball had at least four players in the set, except for the Canadian teams, you know, because there's enough, no, they're selling them in the markets that, you know, they came out in, Mm -hmm. and they didn't want to sell them in Canada, so they didn't feel like they had to do that. The New York Mets had the most players because they, you know, 1988, the New York Mets were fucking red hot. 88 Mets, and it's a huge market. Huge market. I mean, it's all basically like you just dumped them out of a plane over Long Island, like a UNICEF crate. So there were seven players total in New York Mets. Kenner tended to distribute the players to stores by geographical region, so it was difficult to complete the collection of fine players from out of market. Uh, There was different, different lines that... You know, collector's edition, put your cards here. There, I mean, up until 2001, I remember when I was working at KB Toy Store, there was tons of starting lineup shit. Sure. Not even, even as like the original, even as McFarlane would make ones that look just like the player, they still had like the, the shitty versions. But that starting lineup, they were, they were like an action figure that wasn't really action, but we all had mm-hmm. them. Was a Kenner toy. You always saw them in those action sport guides in the back of what you, that you got with the bigger toys, that Kenner line. And then had like the checklist of who you had. And that had the back too, like, complete the set. Sure. Came with a card. They're cool. Yeah. I still have a bunch. I still have a bunch carded. I mean, they still serve a per- I mean, I mean, if it weren't for them, how would, I don't think Kevin McAllister would nearly be as good of a shot. Right. That's how he practiced yeah. his uh, BB gun shooting. So in 2016, three professional sports teams gave away special edition starting lineup figures. 
<clears throat> and so this is like becoming a thing now, like retro. Because the reason why we have this podcast is the reason teams are giving away. Sure. So in October of 2016, the Tampa Bay Bucks released a rapist figure. I'm sorry. Winston, Jemias Winston figure. Oh. Okay. Uh, on November of 2016, the San Jose Sharks released the Joe Pavelski uh, starting lineup figure. And in December of 2016, the Hornets released a Nicholas Batum figure, which thought many people were going to do in 2017. Uh, this year, there are like 20 to 30 teams doing it. I know in August, the Nats are doing a Bryce Harper. Uh, the Mets are doing a David Wright. Orioles are doing a Manny Machado. You know, so now it's the thing. So I bet in the following year, every team, I bet the Iron Pigs locally will have oh, a, a Sports happen. Illustrated. I'm sorry, a starting lineup. Starting figure lineup in the future. So that's that's the thing. It's now. the new bobblehead. Right. I don't know the, how the rights work with these with Kenner and the Hasbro, but mm-hmm. it's happening. So that's starting lineup, and now we move on to your next pick. You're in the big league when you make a perfect fly. You're in the big league when you keep the team alive. You're in the big league when you pluck a star or two. You're in the big league when you're in the big league chew. Big league chew, man-sized wads of grape-tasting shredded bubble gum stuffed into a giant Stay Fresh pouch for big league flavor and big league bubbles. It's big league chew. You're in the big league when you're in the big league chew. Oh, big league chew. I went looking for some the other day. I couldn't find it. I was just at gas wait, stations. Yeah, I know. You got. I was thinking I'd stop at the grocery store, and then I just my attention turned to I saw something shiny, and I'm like, ooh, or some cheese. Actually, yeah. yeah. Uh, when Squeezer walked into my lair to podcast today, he had to drop off a giant bag of cheese in the refrigerator. It's not a giant. What bag. you got in there? Uh, just some shillelagh. What's well, a mescalele? It's like a uh, like an Armenian string cheese. I think they call it. It's like a salty goat cheese with like peppercorns in it. It's good. It's really good. And I got some tuna in there too, and garlic paste, and some olives. Yeah, my breath is gonna be freaking awesome tonight. Oh my god! It's a good little snack. Yeah, very Mediterranean. You are. Yeah. They say that's a healthy diet. It in moderation. Yeah. Yeah. Anything should be in moderation, and sure. especially big league chew. Especially big league chew. Um, I couldn't tell you the last time I had some, but I could still taste it. Yeah, absolutely. My, I, I, I just, you close your eyes and you just, you, that, um, I don't know. What is that feeling of that, that initial soury sugar rush where you just salivate and you have to kind of, your eyes water just a bit. It's too much. Yeah. Um, so do you know the story, the backstory of Big League Chew? How this came about? Does it have something to do with tobacco? Oh, yeah, okay. absolutely. I don't really know the um, story. But. So do you know the Portland Mavericks? No. No. Uh, so um, back in 77, the Portland Mavericks were an independent baseball team. Okay. Uh, which was, it was a bigger thing than now. A lot of your teams, there's so many affiliations um, that it's almost, it's tough to you know, have independent baseball. It's still around, but it's a lot to compete with. Um, uh, Rob Nelson, who played for them, he was a pitcher, um, and, um, Jim Bowden, who was a Yankee, all-star Yankee, and then down the road, his career kind of declined, and he went, still wanted to play, so he ended up in Portland, and neither of them were much into the chewing tobacco. 
They hated it. No, but they'd chew their gum. And they were hanging out in the bullpen. And Rob is hanging out with a young bat boy named Todd Field. Do you know who Todd Field is? Mm-mm. In the bedroom, little children, Oscar nods, oh, director. Yeah. He was also in, he was an actor in Twister. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, he was a bat boy for the Portland Mavericks back then. And he noticed he's chewing and he's got this black dribble like coming out of his mouth. And he's like, what are you doing? Are you chewing? He's like, no, he took some black licorice and shredded it up to chew it because he wanted to be like the players with that black goop coming out of their mouth. He didn't know what it was, but he just wanted to look cool and spit like they were. So like that's there in the back of their mind, like, huh, okay. And then um, down the road, uh, this idea kind of picks up again. They like Rob was kind of into this idea thing. He's like he was he kind of lived like a hermit. He didn't have a kitchen or anything like that, and he lived with like five other players and didn't have a house. Like just enough clothes to get by. His life was baseball was and gypsy, gypsy, and coming up with whatever idea uh, he can come up with. So he shows up to the the field household with a uh, uh, do it yourself like make your own base or your own uh, chewing gum kit that they like sold back then, and they started experimenting, and uh, they started like cutting it up and shredding it. And it was a, a pain in the ass, uh, but they still had the idea, and they went to like they ran this summer camp, and just so happened one of the kids going back to again connections. Uh, there was a kid who was in the summer camp for baseball and his dad was a patent attorney. So they start locking down this idea and they, they did, they made like, they made demo packets and stuff like shredding up this gum and putting it in uh red man pouches. And they started pitching around, uh, and they went to like tops and Fleer cause they would, you know, have gum packs and stuff. And they, I guess weren't interested. And then there was this company that was a subsidiary of Wrigley. Um, named Amirol, and they were like the sugar-free division of trying to make healthy candy or some shit like that. And they they pitched this guy, and it just so happens, they're like, oh, well, we've come up with this perfect formula of this gum that doesn't stick to itself, and you can shred in it. Like, like they basically invented what they came up with, but they didn't know what to do with it. So they put their two ideas together. Uh, Jim invested $10,000 to get the whole ball rolling, and they put it out there. They went to uh, Bill Mayer, who was an artist for Mad Magazine, Mm -hmm. to do the artwork because they figured we got to make it look attractive. So he did the artwork for it. Um, And in 1980, this launched, and in first year, it made $18 million. Yeah. Yeah. as of now, they've already sold o- they've sold over 600 million bags of big league chew in the last 27 years. Hmm. It's a cool story. If you if you uh really like dig deep in it, and just like the history of of even like the I got lost in just the Portland Mavericks. It was a Bing Ru- Bing Russell who was the father of Kurt Russell, who Kurt Russell played on the team back in a day, hmm. back in the 70s. And then eventually the PCL came into town and put in the uh, Portland Beavers and kind of put the the Mavericks uh, out of commission in 77. 
yeah, there's so much more to that little bag of gum where where you thought it was almost like uh, like candy cigarettes. Like I was gonna originally, I was gonna approach this like they're marketing this to kids so they can look cool, thinking that you know it's like a step into actual chewing tobacco. When the whole idea of this was created to actually get away from it, right? Yeah. Huh. How about that? Learn something every day. Yeah. I like my little history lessons. <laughs> Wake up. Ah, what? Huh? So, Squeezer, we left something out. Huh? Out of everything we talked about, we left something out. My original list didn't have it. Your original list didn't have it. And last night I was reminded that we can't talk everything baseball without mentioning these three words. You're killing me, Smalls! I know you're smart, and I'm proud of you. I want you to make some friends this summer. Meet Scotty Smalls. Kale, get it! The kid is a L7 weenie. My lace is over. Man, this is baseball. You gotta stop thinking. Just have fun. Climb trees, hop fences, get into trouble. Just stand there and stick your glove. The Sandlot, Squeezer. Well, I, that, that's the thing. As I'm like... As soon as I was, I was thinking about this, I'm like, it's such an important movie. It's so integral. Do I even need to talk about it? And yes, we do. Yeah, we do. Now, this movie was panned by critics. They called it nostalgically... Oh, no, I'm sorry. Emotionally... Uh, well, hold on. Let me get, let me get the actual... No, no. They, they, they said it Immature. was... Immature? should have not left my page here. Oh, here's the reviews. <laughs> but something else Shamelessly derivative and overly ball. nostalgic. But that's why we loved it. Yes. That's why we, you are listening to this right now. Right. So as kids, you know, this they called this... Uh, Roger Ebert again gave this three stars, and he called it a summertime version of a Christmas story. All right. Pretty good comparison. Yeah. I like this better than Christmas Story. Yeah, I like this better than Christmas Story also. So, this little uh, Scotty Smalls moves into this town. Dennis Leary's his stepdad. And he has nothing to do. And he's a dork. And he usually just stays inside and makes Rube Goldberg machines out of his his Legos. Or what are those called? Connects. No. What is this? You're the one that make it. Metal play sets. Tinker toy? Oh, the metal one? Erector sets. Erector sets. Yeah, erector sets. So he makes his Rube Goldberg machines out of his erector sets. And his mom's like, go outside. They're in Los Angeles or California somewhere. Go outside. Make friends. Play something. So he... Meets a couple people. Uh, meets Benny. Mm-hmm. Benny the Jet. Benny the Jet. He meets uh, Ham. He meets Squints. He meets Yeah Yeah. He meets Kenny. He meets. I think that's everyone, right? Uh, he meets this group of guys, and they initially were reluctant to have him, but Benny was like, no, 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 no. Smalls is he's one of us. We're going to play baseball with him. So. They're, they get into the game, and they're playing baseball, and there's this beast, this huge dog that lives beyond their sandlot where they play. And one time, well, you initially think the movie's about a rivalry with another group of guys who play at a sandlot, mm-hmm. but you learn that uh, in playing a game one day, they lose the ball, and they have one ball, and they're all upset, and they want to keep playing. And Scotty Smalls, trying to fit in, goes, oh, I, I have a ball. And he runs home, and he takes his dad's ball that he has in his office, and it's signed by someone special. 
They play the ball, and he cracks a home run, and it goes over the fence. And they're like, Scotty. And they're like, wow, holy shit, you hit a home run. That's awesome. He's like, no, it's horrible. I need that. My dad loved that ball. I'm like, why? He goes, it was signed by someone, uh, some woman, Baby Ruth. They're like, Babe Ruth? <laughs> they just go through all his nicknames. Also, there's a chewing tobacco scene. That's where he said, you're killing me, Smalls. Mm-hmm. And he didn't know what it was. They all do chewing tobacco. They all puke over each other. This, this movie was quintessential summer yeah. fun. Then they develop, they take the erector set, they come back in, they develop all sorts of, of ideas with vacuums and whatnot in the treehouse mm-hmm. to get this ball back. And eventually, Benny's like, I'm going to do it. And James Earl Jones, a.k.a. Darth Vader, <laughs> a.k.a. Prince Joffe, I'm sorry, King Joffe, uh, is, is this blind man who is a former Major League Baseball player who says, you know what, I'll trade you balls, I'll keep this ball, I'll give you a ball signed by the entire fucking Yankees, including Babe Ruth. So he tells his dad the story, he gives him this ball, they became lifelong <laughs> he, friends. He still gets grounded. Still gets grounded. Cut to Scotty Smalls now <laughs> calls the baseball for the Los Angeles Dodgers, whom Benny the Jet plays for, and he still wears the stupid hat Appar- with the fish Apparently on it. his head is the exact same size. The exact same size. And he hits, uh, what, a single or? Well, he was on third. Oh, he was on, was yeah. it? I don't I, know how He steals home. Oh, he steals home. Yeah. Or it might have been a suicide squeeze. And he looks up and gives thumbs up to the booth. And Scotty Smalls like, is up there giving like, thumbs up, th- too. The, this whole movie ends on a Mentos commercial. Yeah, it basically does. So the, the Beast becomes their mascot over the next few years, and um, uh, they just have fun. It's a fun movie, yeah. and, you know, it's not for everybody, but if you haven't ever seen it, I give think it, it is, because if you're, if you're a little boy growing up in the 80s or 90s, I mean, this is what we did. It really was. Yeah. You go out. Yeah. You build some goofy. A- you play baseball. Build some goofy ass contraption. Get in trouble. Someone gets hurt. Some kid, you know. Some kid fakes drowning. Fakes to drowning. Make so out with Wendy Peppercorn. With, yeah. it, it, it had it all. Yeah. It had it all. And there's nothing else to say about it. But my favorite baseball movie. It's yeah. It is. It is the and best. It's, baseball it's what movie. baseball is about, too. Yeah. It's, yeah it's, having fun. Yeah. It's Being having outside. Fun. And summer, because that movie's more about summer than yeah. anything else. Uh, all right. Well, there's all the stuff we talked about is great, but there's I, I one. Think, is that, no, I think that's everything, right? I don't think there's anything else from the 90s involving baseball that you can. I'm being a dick. I just played a clip. And now I'd like to introduce the new members of our happy power plant family. Our new security guard, Roger Clemens. Hello. Our new janitor, Wade Boggs. How you doing? Our new lunchroom cashier, Ken Griffey Jr. Hey, what's up, guys? Our new, we'll, uh, we'll make up jobs for these fellas later. Please say hello to Steve Sachs, Don Mattingly, Daryl Strawberry, Ozzy Smith, Mike Sosha, and Jose Canseco. Oh, by the way, you new fellas, there's a sign-up sheet for the company softball team on the bulletin board over there, uh, just in case you wish to play. Mr. Burns, with them on a team, you won't need us. Well, duh. <laughs> well, duh. duh. This, in my opinion, amongst one of the best Simpsons episodes of all time. Absolutely. I think it's a classic. Um, according to uh, uh, Chris oh, Turner, who wrote the... Can I just the, pause you? Sorry, go ahead. For a second. I'm going to quick run to my cupboard and get some brain and nerve tonic. I feel like um, <laughs> I'm slouching here. Ooh, there's a party in my mouth and everyone's invited. Yeah. I, he, I know I run the risk of gigantism. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he didn't get that. You didn't get the joke? No. Yeah, I guess, I guess he wasn't really a fan of The Simpsons, but uh, that goes back to uh, Flaming Moe's. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And uh, yeah, I guess he didn't see that episode. Uh, Mike Sosha did, though. He jumped at it because apparently he was it when they called him and he was like a super Simpsons fan. Right. So it didn't even take like, yeah, he was immediately, he was all in. Um, yeah. According to Chris Turner, who wrote the book planet Simpsons. So like basically all Simpsons in his opinion, this is the beginning of like the golden era of Simpsons. I, it's a little early for me. I start mine around, but there are some brilliant episodes, I think. And it begins here, which was February 20th, 1992, Episode 52 overall, Season 3, Episode 17, Production Code 8F13, for those who care. No one does. They do, believe me. If they also have seven volumes of Simpsons cataloged, edited of commercials, and then cataloged by Production Code. On VHS. On VHS. Wow. And especially if you can go to uh, like a flea market. And Why would, would you edit commercials out? Well, at the time, you didn't want to watch yeah, them. Now, now you, you regret you'd kill, it. I regret yeah. it. I kill for them. But you would go and get the uh, the blockbuster cases that you would buy from some shady guy out the back of a truck, pull the sleeves out, and print up your own and slide them in so everything was right there. And <laughs> you can even basically, uh, in an early form of time coding as well, have it so you can go right to that episode so you know what you wanted to watch. <laughs> Control track, time code. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, this episode, this is fantastic. So... Real simply, there's a softball league for the plant. Mr. Burns makes a bet with the Shelbyville plant owner, million dollars, that my team can beat your team. Now, the the Homer's team, the you know Springfield team, is doing really well. Homer's got uh, a wonder bat that he made out of a tree that got struck by lightning, a la the natural. Uh, and so Mr. Burns wants to guarantee that he's going to win, so he wants Smithers to go out and get a team of ringers. Problem is, the list of names Mr. Burns gives to Smithers, they all died at least 100 years ago. <laughs> um, so Smithers goes out and puts together his own team. His own team, you heard it, consists of Roger Clemens, Wade Boggs, Ken Griffey Jr., Sachs, Smith, Canseco, Don Mattingly, Daryl Strawberry, and Mike Sosha. Now... Originally, they were concerned that they wouldn't be able to get nine guys to sign on for this. They're thinking, maybe we get three at best. But they got nine. Now, there were two names that initially they wanted that were big in 92 when this was done. Uh, Carlton Fisk was one. Uh, so he didn't, uh, he didn't want to do it. So they got uh, Sosha instead because he was in town and, but the Dodgers, mm-hmm. they, they did this by over the course of like six months throughout the summer season, as teams came through and either played the Dodgers or the Angels, yeah. they'd bring these guys in to record, which also made it difficult because instead of, you know, doing your recording all together and being able to work get a feel, work off of each other, get a even feel like, I mean, they didn't some, they'd record something in June and your next clip, like, I don't think Ozzy Smith recorded his until like September, mm. which he, they said he was a trooper. He came in, rehearsed, uh, had notes, like working on his inflection. What do I do here? It, he was all in. He loved it. In fact, he said he, wants to come, he wanted to come back and give closure because he didn't want Ozzie Smith to be stuck in the uh, uh, Springfield mystery spot for <laughs> eternity. Um, Question. Yes. Who is England's greatest prime minister? <laughs> Pitt the Elder. I I do have to go with uh, 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 Pitt the Elder. Not Lord Palmerston. Not Lord Palmerston. Palmerston. Uh, Well, 
Wade Boggs is knocked out. Yeah, originally I he was supposed to be in a belching contest. Yeah. Uh, and then I guess, but his uh, uh, what's the word? What's that thing? Your uh, reputation hmm. was already that of a bit of a, a yes. Drunkard. Always sunny in Philadelphia. Did I, a whole episode. After I watched this, I immediately went and watched always. Uh, what's the, the title? Something beating the, the beat, gang beats the gang Boggs beat, record. Beats Boggs. Um, uh, probably the great, my favorite line. He's in them. He's in there. Yeah, yeah he's a like a the ghost of the Wade ghost, Boggs. The ghost there. of Wade Boggs because he's <laughs> apparently he's dead. Uh, Want some chicken? When, when Frank asked the stewardess, "Do you have any condoms on this flight?" <laughs> and she goes, "No." And he goes, "Well, then we're gonna have to figure something else out." <laughs> and he's so wasted. <laughs> he's so wasted. That they have they have the tally great. marks on yes. their shirt for how many beers they drank. Uh-huh. Um, uh, <laughs> where was I? We were talking Wade Boggs. Wade Boggs. Um, Ken Griffey Jr. Ken takes Griffey an overdose Jr. of the nerve tonic. Um, Roger Clemens. Uh, what went, happens to Clemens? Well, they go to a hypnotist to, to basically, we are better player. Like, Mr. Burns takes the whole team to a hypnotist. Uh, and he turns Roger Clemens into a chicken. Right. Roger Clemens was game. He did all his own chicken sounds and everything. He was clucking. Um Wade Boggs gets knocked out. Ken Griffey Jr. gets gigantism from being addicted to a brain and nerve tonic. Uh, Steve Sachs uh, was pulled over and is arrested for every unsolved murder in New York City. Right. Uh, and Wiggins closes the case on that. Ozzie Smith falls in the Springfield mystery spot. Uh, Jose Canseco of the A's, uh, he was walking down the street and there's a house on fire and a woman calls for him to help. He's like, uh, or, yeah, and he's you know, he's all running in and out, rescuing yeah. all his possessions. Originally, that was not the story. Originally, he was to wake up with Mrs. Krabappel in bed. <laughs> now, when he got there, he immediately uh, said, no, that's not going to work. Because I guess at the time, him and his wife were just going through a bit of a spat. And they were, she was going to file for divorce because, you know, he was being the fine gentleman that he was, and there was some other drama. I guess he had a, did he have a DUI, or there's some issue? There were issues with Canseco. Um, I think it was Al Jean said that the, well, he said of all the players, everyone was great. There was one guy who was an issue, and it, it rhymed with Menseco. Hmm. Yeah, they said he was just a dick, and he came in all huff and puff and big league and then in like uh 2007 it was someone was doing a newspaper interview article over the phone and they asked him it's like hey so that simpsons episode and he goes that was 100 years ago click hangs up on him his he, daughter's pretty hot yeah jose canseco um, yeah i think we're talking about uh, jose canseco bet but yeah yeah he, uh, he was a bit of a dick on it I don't know. I think it's awesome. Like Boggs and like Daryl Strawberry. Yeah. Who, Josie Marie Canseco. Yeah. Look her up. I want, I'm a happily married man. I won't be doing that rhyme. Um, Daryl Strawberry was the only player left on the team who then, I'll jump to the ending. We Mr. Didn't Burns. talk about Don Mattingly though. What happens to Mattingly? Mattingly, get rid of those sideburns. What sideburns? You heard me, hippie. For the last time, get rid of those sideburns. Look, Mr. Burns, I don't know what you think sideburns are, but... Don't argue with me! Just get rid of them! (gasps) Mattingly! I thought I told you to trim those sideburns! Go home! You're off the team! For good! Fine. I still like him better than Steinbrenner. (laughs) 
<laughs> a little dig at Steinbrenner. Um, ironically, that uh, people get confused. They think that this was inspired by a real-life incident because, you know, the Yankees have very strict rules about facial hair and lengthier hair and stuff, right. and that he got fined. This actually, he recorded this, and this was written before that went down. Oh. Um, yeah, so it was, that was, I think this, because this was recorded and then aired in February of, of 92. And I think that happened like the summer of 92, but he had already recorded all of that stuff. Now you mentioned Daryl Strawberry is the yeah. only person on the team. He's the only one left. And uh, the, probably one of the greatest exchanges ever. It's like, you're Daryl Strawberry. Yeah. You play right field. Yeah. I play right field. Yeah. Are you better than me? Well, I never met you, but yes. <laughs> so everyone else on the team can't play. Uh, and Mike Sosha, he's out because he gets radiation sickness from working at the power plant because he actually wants to. He doesn't take the job to be a ringer. He takes the job because he wants to work at the nuclear plant. <laughs> um, and then, um, yeah, Daryl's the only one left. Nothing happens to Daryl. But Mr. Burns, in all his wisdom, wants to micromanage the team, pull Strawberry and Homer pinch hits for him with the bases loaded, two outs, and the championship on the line. And as they're giving his signals to Homer, Homer doesn't understand what Mr. Burns is saying and is looking and takes a fastball right to the head, is knocked unconscious, and walks in the game-winning run. And then is paraded across the field unconscious, and Aristotle Andropolis has to pay his million dollars, who was played by Jonathan Lovett. Oh, yeah. Uh. Now that you say it, I yeah, I hear it. Yeah. Even kind of looks like him just a little bit. Mm. Yeah, they, the, and looking like him was the tricky thing, because this was very early in The Simpsons, and, uh, you know, they weren't necessarily all on the caricature thing. Yeah. It's like, it, they, you know, Matt Groening said it was probably the hardest thing that they did was just trying to draw these guys to look as much as like them as humanly possible. Well, we talked a lot of baseball and we talked, well, not really. We talked a lot about things that have, are kind of related to baseball, but you know, well, let's take a lesson from the same lot. You just listen to the Radiators podcast, go put on your PF flyers, get out there, <laughs> find a lot, play some ball, find a friend to play pickle with, or just you know, go outside until the sun burns you to death and you run back inside and cower and put a game on TV while you read comic books. Or you can put blankets on the windows and put on uh, the demo mode of Little League Baseball and just sit there and watch an NES game play itself while your friends are outside having fun. That's another good option. <laughs> well, this has been the all-baseball episode of Radier's Podcast. We gave you almost 90 minutes of baseball talking serious? action. Holy yeah. shit. We could probably cut about... 80 out of well, us rambling. The, you could just watch the trailer for Rookie of the Year rather than have me explain it to you. Yeah, it's not as good. Anyway, that's we said it all, haven't we? I think so. And next week, we are talking favorite summer memories, right? Ooh, yeah. And we got to figure something else out, too. Okay. Let's record two next week. <gasps> Letting them in on it. That's what we do. We, we have that kind of relationship with our audience. Aww. But that's all for this week. I'm RK. I'm Squeezer. See ya. <laughs>